What's going on, guys? This is Bud Elliott of the Nolcast coming at you for a little solo episode on this fine Sunday morning. We said we would do two episodes this week because we had so many good listener questions to get to. And I think we will probably drop this first uh, for our Patreon members because that's where most of our questions today uh, did indeed come from. And I also want to give a huge shout out to Matt Lewis of Congruity. Uh, Congruity HR, just an awesome company we've worked with for a long time. And uh, several of our listeners and other sponsors actually have decided to use Congruity for all their business needs. And so Matt Lewis and his crew just do a tremendous job over there. And we didn't mention them in the last episode, so that, that's on us. So uh, apologies to Matt and those guys. But really huge thanks to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash nolcast and we'll we'll jump right into this so i do want to thank uh, brent who actually asked a question we didn't get to last time uh, but we did actually answer it just in sort of organic discussion he had asked a, a question about uh, uh, divisions and pods and protected rivalries and whatnot and that was a, a large part of our conversation last time i also want to know i don't really have uh, a whole lot of fsu specific thoughts uh, about the jimbo saving feud i thought it was pretty hilarious and it was great for content uh if you want just my general thoughts on that not really related to florida state i would recommend you guys check out the cover three podcast episode that we did it was a pretty good time so not really sure how long this would go i think we have what five or six questions today so this may go 20 minutes may go 40 we i guess we'll see and we, we, off the top here uh this first one comes from from uh, amy and amy writes uh Hi, Ingram and Bud. I'm probably not your normal podcast uh, listener demographic as a 55-year-old female in Atlanta. Hey, awesome. We we welcome everybody. Uh, but I have been a listener since the days of not we uh, will we win, but how bad are we going to beat up on these guys? And I really miss winning, she says. Uh, I grew up in Tallahassee. My dad is in the FSU Baseball Hall of Fame, and I sit with my parents or in my parents' 40-yard line seats we've had since 1960. A funny memory for our younger listeners is when I was little, my dad was so excited we were going to go to a bowl game. Uh, when we left the stadium, he passed out tangerines. I don't think it was oranges. There was a tangerine bowl back in the day, for sure. I, I do recall that. For all of us to celebrate going to the tangerine bowl. Also, one December, we had to answer the phone, go Gators, uh, for a month because he lost a bet to a local Florida fan. The gentleman called our house every day to check and make sure we weren't backing out on the wager. That's what made college football special. Okay, here's my offseason question. That is pretty cool, by the way. And, of course, it, you know caller id uh, nowadays makes it a little bit harder to pull off but uh, I, I think in the spirit of it you still have to do it that's that's a good bet i i, I may use that this fall uh, as a walk-on football player at fsu what benefits do i have team meal plan academic tutors do walk-on players get to live in athletic housing a friend and i were discussing how many walk-ons uh, were on the roster and we realized we don't know much about it uh, do pwos get more benefits than regular walk-ons uh, thanks for all you do and making me feel like an insider for FSU football. Hey, Amy, I really appreciate it. So this is a good question uh, because it is sort of walk-on season. You're seeing some people enroll uh, for the summer semesters coming up. And uh, they they try to keep those walk-on lists pretty tight until the kids get enrolled because, um, let's face it, a lot of like FCS or Division II programs would, would, would love to get those guys. Even though D2 uh, is not scholarship level, uh, they do obviously have the ability to sell a whole lot of playing time uh, and the number of walk-ons to get playing time is it's generally pretty small uh, i think it's probably gone down in recent years nationally just because companies like the one i i work for uh, and other companies as well do a really good job of identifying players 
on the whole, certainly kids do slip through, uh, but on the whole, they, they identify these prospects really well. And with that, the guys who are walk-ons, for the most part, should be walk-ons. Um, so you have 85 scholarship players. I believe you can carry up to what is 115-ish uh, walk-ons, and you have a little cut-down for the season. Uh, but you kind of can carry I mean, almost a starting lineup worth of walk-ons, if I recall. Uh, and as far as what kind of benefits do they get? They obviously get gear, right? So if you're on the team, there's certain things that you are going to get. You're, you're going to get gear. That's not just helmet, shoulder pads and stuff. I and mean, they're, you know, shoes, shirts, you know, sweatpants, you know, shorts, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, you do, you do get that, um, team meal plan actually in 2013, the NCAA approved unlimited meals and snacks, uh, for everyone. And that actually also applies to walk-ons, at least legally. I'm not really sure if every school extends that to walk-ons, but the, under NCAA rule, they do have the ability uh, to extend that to walk-ons. So don't, I'm not saying that every single school out there does that, but I think most of your big power fives obviously do feed their walk-ons. Uh, academic tutors, yeah, I, I, I know you can go to tutoring uh, if you're a walk-on. What I'm not sure on is if it's required. Like, I don't know if walk-ons have to go to the same, um, like, required study hall that a lot of the, the scholarship guys do. Um, but I, I don't know. I, that's actually something I should probably ask about. Uh, do walk-on players get to live in athletic housing? Uh, they can, but not, like, they don't get it for free, obviously. So you're not getting any scholarship uh, type stuff. And... I think the line is drawn there between paying for walk-ons housing and paying for some food uh, for walk-ons. Now, when they're on, if they make the travel roster, they obviously get the travel per diem. If you have a per diem thing, I think a lot of these teams just provide the meals uh, anyway. So for football specifically, that may not be quite as relevant, um, but yeah, uh, they get a decent number of benefits. So what they don't get most typically is playing time. Um, and they don't get any actual money. So some of the stipends, uh, the scholarship, the the housing, they, they don't actually get that. Uh, do preferred walk-ons get more benefits than regular walk-ons? So not once they're on the team, no. But preferred walk-ons, the big benefit is you are not having to try out in the same in the same way that just like the regular, you know, cattle call uh, tryout, if you want to call it that, uh, is held. So the preferred walk-on essentially means, hey, it's more of a, a recruiting term. Anything. It's like, if you come here, we have a spot for you in our walk-on alignment. We, we, we think just based on what we've seen out of you in high school, that you're very likely to make the team. It's not 100% guarantee. I don't actually think you sign anything, to my knowledge, uh, for walking on, even, even as a PWO. Uh, but yeah, you, you are more likely to get a spot. Really appreciate Amy's question there. So let's go to Sean. Sean's question. Hey, Bud Nigger, I listened to the Cover 3 Florida Summer School podcast. It was on checking, thinking about how UF has two offensive line coaches and how it relates to the Knowles situation. Is Chris Thompson acting as a second offensive line coach for the Knowles, especially now that Atkins has more responsibility as the OC slash play caller? Do you think a system like this could help with our O-line development get better? than it has been over the last seven, eight years. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so the way Florida set up their coaching staff, um, 
they went with two offensive line coaches. I, I don't really think this is uh, revolutionary, so to speak. I, I do know sometimes you have, you know, you have some schools that go tackles, tight ends, and some schools that go center centers guards. Uh, I know you have some schools that use an outside receivers coach and an inside receivers coach. I, I know, like for instance, Mississippi State and some of your more traditional air raid schools will do that. But you only get a certain number of coaches, so you do have to split it up how you want to do it. Like not every single little micro position is going to have its own coach. For instance, some schools may go with just a secondary coach. Others go corners and and, and safeties. Um, you know, some schools go just one defensive line coach. Others go D tackles, D ends, as, as FSU does. Uh, do I think that doing so could help? Um, I mean, I can't say no, I guess. I don't know that – I think there's potentially some good and some bad, right? More voices, more eyeballs is, in theory, uh, good. However, on the flip side, uh, more voices could be confusing. Right. And maybe, maybe guys are talking about the same concept, but they teach it a different way. What if somebody's better at getting through to somebody? Uh, you know, what what if one coach is more personable and, you know, the, the guys in his little subgroup are less likely to transfer because they like him, whereas the other guy's more of kind of a, you know, more of a hard ass, I guess. Um, you know, that potentially is something to think about there. I don't think Chris Thompson is actually acting as a second offensive line coach, but, you know, given that he just coaches tight ends uh, and is like the assistant head coach, I, I think the kind of in theory title is. Uh, I do think he helps oversee some stuff uh, for sure. So officially acting as a second offensive line coach, no. Uh, more eyeballs on the situation? Yes. I, I would say especially when they do, you know, certain drills. Um, like they, you know, you, you go you go some of these box drills where you don't have the receivers in there, right? And it's just offensive line, tight ends, D-line, linebackers. Well, they're going to be working together quite a bit in those situations. All right, Sam asks, uh, do you think ESPN's coverage of the ACC will change once its exclusive contract with the SEC begins? I'm concerned that ESPN will, will go even more all-in on promoting the SEC than they already do, and I can see this directly impacting FSU when you see less of our games on ABC, ESPN, and more move to ACC Network slash ESPN Plus in the future. Outside of basketball season, it has always seemed like ESPN views the ACC as expendable inventory that will only become more apparent uh, during the next round of media deals. So an interesting question by, by Sam. A little doom and gloom here, uh, but I, I'm not fully doom and gloom on this. Uh, ESPN already promotes the heck out of the SEC. It has the SEC network. It owns you know most of the SEC's rights. Obviously, CBS, the company that, full disclosure, I, I work for, uh, has the SEC game of the week uh, at a tremendous value right now. ESPN paid a ton of money to get that. And you know, if you're going to lose things, uh, you want to make your, your competition pay up for them and pay up in, in a big way. So uh, I, I don't know that they're going to promote it even more as far as like on a per team basis. But if you add, if you add Oklahoma and Texas as the SEC did, then that gives ESPN more to promote. The SEC is just a much better product than the ACC is. You just don't have – fans, for the most part, in the, in the ACC do not care in the same amount or especially in the same number that as they do in the SEC, period. Like, people – when they say it matters more, they just do care more, right? Like, I mean, you don't have – I've told this story before, but when I was in law school at Bama, it was 07-09. It was, it, was, it was Nick Saban's first three years there. 
and obviously he's been in the news a lot recently. Um, but you had people trying to park their RVs in our law school parking lot on a Wednesday. It's like, don't you, don't y'all work? Like, what, what do you, you don't have that in this, in that same way in the ACC, even at like FSU and Clemson. I, I just don't think that, well, obviously they're harder places to get to in some situations and you have fewer good games in the ACC. Um, I'm, I'm sure they'll still put eight games on ABC and ESPN. I don't think they're going to move everything to ACC and ESPN Plus in the future. But if you're adding more good teams in, or good brands at least, like Oklahoma and Texas, uh, then clearly more of those spots will be taken up by some of those teams and the matchups they create. Like Oklahoma-Georgia is probably going to get a better time spot than FSU NC State or then like what, Miami Vatech in general. It's just a bigger brand. It's just a bigger deal. So um, I don't think the ACC views the ACC or ESPN views the ACC as expendable inventory, though, to, Sam, to the other part of Sam's question. I, I don't think so at all, man. Uh, I think that uh, I think the ACC is probably seen as a tremendous value to ESPN. To fill their to fill inventory, um, I mean, ESPN. One of their main challenges is inventory. They literally created the Birmingham Bowl because they needed a game for January like, like literally for the calendar day, January six, a couple of years back. They're like, oh well, uh, I'm not really sure many people will go to this, and it doesn't really doesn't really matter, guys, because we need TV inventory. So they don't pay the ACC all that much in comparison to the SEC and the Big Ten, which. Honestly, they shouldn't. The product's not not as good. Uh, but I think they got a pretty good deal on it, and I guarantee you they don't think it's expendable uh, at all. I mean, like I think they probably value that deal quite a bit um, and would not want to give it up, you know? So, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of my, my thoughts on that, I guess. Rereading the question here to make sure that I haven't missed anything. Also want to make sure that we are thanking Louisiana Hot Sauce, as well as the team at Legendary Home Loans. Tremendous job both of those companies do for us and longtime partners both. And, of course, Tarpon Cellars Winery. I've had a lot of listeners go out to Tarpon Cellars now. I think my wife and I are going to make a trip out there. It sounds like a good time. And, uh, uh, hey, we, we went to uh, um, Sonoma and whatnot a little while ago. So we'll run back out there. Be cool. All right. Outside of basketball season, it always seemed like ESPN views the ACC as expendable inventory, and that will only only become more apparent during the next round of media deals. Um, okay, let's uh, let's finish here on Michael Savell's or uh, My- Michael's question. Excuse me. Uh, good morning, guys. Thanks for all you do. I'm sorry to hear about the death in your family, bud. That was uh, by my wife's uh, grandma passed away. That's why we were we were off last week. Had to head Louisiana for the uh, celebration of life there. Uh, Michael continues. I'm a booster, uh, not a big one, but I donate a couple thousand dollars a year. But now with the NIL, I'm wondering if you have advice about the best place to put my money. I definitely want to help all FSU athletics, but the football team is my primary love. Uh, would I be better served by splitting my contribution between the Seminole Boosters and Rising Spear? So I think it kind of depends on on a couple factors, right? Um, do you feel like giving to Rising Spear will help to push your team over the top or get to a next level, how much do you value facilities, right? Um, Are you giving towards endowing scholarships? All all those things are important. Uh, I'm personally 
not as high on facilities. I, I think that that's kind of just, I think you, you get the stuff built that you need to get built now. And I don't see like the building craze continuing into the next you know decades. I, I think that's largely a result of the colleges trying to cling to this nonprofit status. So they have these massive spend downs um, that they can show, show hey, we, we lose money, right? We're, we're a nonprofit as opposed to, hey, we have employees. I'm not going to get into all that employee stuff today. Uh, but clearly, like, they're trying to keep their nonprofit status. Uh, he wants to help all of FSU athletics. You can do both through Rising Spear or through FSU Boosters. Uh, with Rising Spear, you could just, you know, you, in the box where you say, how do you want your donation to be used? You could say, foot, you know, football mostly, but uh, a little bit of basketball or baseball or um you know, one of the women's sports, maybe volleyball or something like that, if, you, if you're interested in that, or softball. You know, the softball team continues to be really damn good. Shout out to the uh, to the Knowles over there on the diamond. Um, but right now, I feel like the bang for your buck is probably pretty good in Rising Spear because you are getting in and you're one of the first people to get in rel you know, relative to like the timeline of how long it's been around and the timeline of, of how long FSU Boosters has been around. The other thing, Michael, I would say is, is how much of your donation, if any, is tied to your season tickets? Because if it's a lot, then how much can you really shave off and keep your same season ticket package? Um, this kind of conversation, by the way, is one reason why athletic departments across the country don't always love NIL and collectives. They like it from the perspective that it kicks the can as far as employee status down the road uh, a decent bit and that it, they don't have to be in charge of it. However, like I think it's pretty well known uh, that some of those Big Ten schools hate their collectives because they hate the boosters who run them. I don't think that's the case at FSU, by the way. I, I, I think the guys that run Rising Spear are very well liked by the department, um, but you know, just I think some at some point some of these schools, if you have a a if you have a collective, and I'm not talking about FSU here, but if you have a collective that is run by like a rogue booster out of control type guy, as an athletics administrator, that's probably kind of annoying. And you eventually you may just want to say, screw it, we're gonna bring this in-house. We don't need to, you know, do all this other stuff for it. We'll just make these guys employees. Uh, but that could also be like, hey, it, like who's in better situation to handle a combo donation? than if the school was overseeing everything. Although, if you just split it up yourself, you do have more control uh, directly over that, certainly, with the boosters and with Rising Spear. Um, cool. Guys, so patreon.com slash nolcast. I think we got to all of the uh, the ones that we've received in the last week. I tried to go through them just to make sure. If I did miss one, certainly my apologies. And Ingram and I will be uh, podcasting this week as well. So we will make sure to catch it there. I don't think. Um, I think we hit the Jordan Addison one. I'm trying to remember what we did uh, last week. Um, let me see here. Yeah, we definitely hit that one. Okay, so I, I think we're caught up. Again, if we're not, I apologize. In Ingram kind of runs our Patreon. So, uh, I can see the questions. He just has the more to log in stuff. So I, I'm pretty sure I nailed everything. If I didn't, we'll make sure to hit it 
in a future episode. I hope everybody has a great Sunday, uh, or if you're listening to this Monday or Tuesday, a great start to your week, and we will make sure to join you all again uh, midweek. For Bud Elliott, this has been the Nolcast.